Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Hello there. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, boy, it's like Christmas up in this bitch. <laughs> I hope you have your snacks available at the ready. Snacks to the left, snacks to the right. I think tonight might be a popcorn night. I, I prefer the buttered myself, buttered popcorn, heavily salted. Heavily salted. None of that caramel shit for me. I want something that encourages more alcoholism. Skull. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Daily Boogie Podcast. I am Boogie Bubby, your host. Hopefully for the next hour or so, we'll see how we go. Thank you so much for joining us on this Monday night. A Monday night that will be forever known as CNN Day. (laughs) As promised, as promised in the tweet I put out earlier, I have not watched a single second of um, the Project Veritas clips. I have been waiting with anxious anticipation for tonight because I want to watch it with you. I want genuine, I want to give you genuine reactions. I want to give you genuine commentary, uh, genuine opinion as it's happening. So I haven't pre-watched a thing. I've got no timestamps, nothing. We're going to work our way through the first video. Apparently there's going to be a little series coming out. It's going to be like CNN meets Game of Thrones. There might be seven or eight series of these videos. Hopefully at some point somebody will have a sexual relationship with a family member just to just to keep it up. <laughs> I know there's a whole bunch of zombies involved. That we know. We know that much. It is CNN. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you had a lovely weekend. I certainly have. Uh, just to cover off, a couple of people were mentioning in James's chat. Uh, James was on just before me. Thanks again for the plug. The flying Hawaiian comrade who I do a show with once a week on Sunday night. Trust and verify. I just want to follow up a couple of people asking about the chicken. You'll be very pleased to know that the the young lady is back home where she belongs. So I want to thank the prayer warriors out there for finding a minute here and there to pray for the safe return of our feathered friend. Uh, one of our lovely neighbours picked her up. She wandered into their house last night and uh, they fed her and gave her some water and stuff. So it was a couple of scary days for the young lady, but she's back home producing eggs where she belongs at the Boogie Bumper household. So all is well that ends well. The chicken has come home to roost. So thank you so much for that. Uh, I just also want to make a quick announcement too. I want to say thank you to the Patreon subscribers. You probably can't hear that much difference, but uh, let me tell you what your donations do for this show. And... You know, I, I was I was adverse to taking any kind of uh, donations for a long time, and I was convinced by a couple of people to do it. Otherwise, they would hunt me down and kill me for not you know, accepting their charity. I'm like, okay. I said, well, I'll set up a Patreon because it's basically like a tip jar. So if you like what you see, if you like what you hear, if you like the show, and all of that stuff, and if you feel if if, if you feel so compelled, then you can contribute to the show by getting over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper but no pressure um so 
on the weekend, I managed to get a couple of pieces of hardware in the studio. <clears throat> and without getting too technical, uh, we've got an audio interface and another separate mixer. So now I can run the microphones. There's three microphones in this studio and we can rig up a fourth if we have to, but it's not a permanent one. And so now we run all the microphones through one mixer and then it goes through its compressor and its noise gate. And then it goes into the main mixer. Uh, the long and short of it is I've now taken the digital software, the digital mixer software off the computer because we were having a lot of problems with it. Um, it would cut out sometimes for no reason whatsoever. People who have been a long time listener to this show, a long time watcher on Periscope and YouTube will know sometimes the sound just goes out for no reason whatsoever. And even though it was it, it was free software, so I'm not going to mention it. I'm not going to slander them because they do really good stuff. What do you expect for free, right? Um, but even though it was free software, it probably worked like 92% of the time perfectly, but that wasn't enough. <laughs> I'm too anal retentive when it comes to that sort of thing. So now, um, taking, oh no, multi mics, they make a difference when there's other people in the studio, Beth. Now, for now, I've only got one turned on because I'm the only one in here. Um, so... Now I'm able to take all of that software off the PC and we're doing everything old school. We've got two mixers and a compressor and stuff and no audio fuck-ups, I'm pleased to report, from three or four days of streaming. So thank you so much to the Patreon subscribers. Um, anything that you donate to the Patreon goes right back into the studio. Um, the Patreon subscribers over the course of the last you know, 18 months or so have contributed to new microphones, new hardware, new cables, new new programs, the whole lot. Anything I get from Patreon goes right back into this. So thank you so much for that. It's going to make things a lot better and a lot less fuck-ups along the way. Thank you for joining us. Like I said, if you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper, become a subscriber by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you would like to follow me on Twitter, then you can do so by following me at Boogie Bumper. Just before we get into the piece de resistance of tonight, that being Project Veritas and their undercover guerrilla journalism in the halls of CNN, which I suspect uh, many of our previous assumptions are going to be confirmed tonight, but I'm not going into this with any expectations. I have some suspicions, but no expectations because I haven't watched it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Before we get into that, though, I did want to play a couple of shorter videos first. Uh, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, I have this one for you. Um, I was looking on band.video earlier just in case the Project Veritas video couldn't get uploaded to YouTube for whatever reason. I'm not saying anything, but you never know. Sometimes these things happen. We might not have been able to get it, so I was looking for other places to get it. Bitshoot, band.video. Band.video is a video hosting platform uh, run by Infowars, Alex Jones, so to host their little videos on. So while I was looking around for uh, Project Veritas to see if they have a channel or anything on that platform, I came across this video and I thought, wow, I, I should play this because it's pretty good. Whoever put it together did a really good job. Um, I'm somebody when it comes to engagements in foreign war zones. I'm, I'm definitely more on the Ron Paul side of the argument. Uh, you can call it isolationism, but I think isolationism is a loaded term. I don't think to be isolationist means to cut yourself off from the rest of the world. 
if isolationist means fewer of your sons and daughters need to go to the other side of the world to die in the desert somewhere for a fight that isn't theirs, then I'm all for it. I'm all for isolationism, if that's what it means. Um, So a lot of people, the corporate press, uh, the Democrats, the Democrat candidates are coming out. They're saying how awful it is. We need to stay there. Uh, I did a podcast over the weekend on Friday night for the late the late night folks would have seen it. Uh, the Common Discourse with a couple of Aussie mates. We do it maybe once a month if we can get around to it. And I made the point there, well, there's always going to be, isn't there, in some parts of the world, there's always going to be a reason to not leave. Currently, it's the Kurdish uh, situation. And whilst I think many people sympathise with the Kurds, I would ask the question simply, if not now, then when? So, okay, you can't leave now. When can you leave? A year from now? 10 years from now? 50 years from now? If not now, when? At some point, if you are going to make good on your election promise, and you are Donald Trump at this point, if you're going to make good on your election promise to bring the boys home, then at some point you're going to have to load the guys up onto planes and fly them back to the United States, right? It can't just be all talk all the time with no execution. So I simply ask, okay, if not now, when? Because there's always going to be somebody trying to drag you into a conflict on the other side of the world. There's always going to be reasons to stay in that conflict. And there's always going to be people saying that you can never leave. So if not now, when? I'm surprised it hasn't happened sooner. But for this, the Trump administration, more specifically the president himself, has been labelled all sorts of things by the corporate press, heartless, ladies and gentlemen. He doesn't care. He has no empathy. He doesn't care about people getting killed in the Middle East, right? You've heard all of these points getting made. So I came across this video, which I thought was a nice contrast. Whether you like the guy or dislike the guy, you may appreciate the work that's gone into this clip. And perhaps, perhaps, maybe, even if you don't necessarily believe what he's saying or you believe that he doesn't believe in what he's saying, Um, perhaps a pause for consideration before we start slinging around the heartless term when it comes to politicians sending, like I said, our sons, daughters, mothers, fathers, brothers and sisters, aunts, uncles, nieces and nephews off to die in some far-flung shithole on the other side of the world, which they have no business being in in the first place. So let's, let's, let's figure out who the heartless ones really are, shall we? I have to sign letters. It's the hardest thing I have to do. I sign letters, dear Mr. and Mrs. Smith from Arkansas, dear Mr. and Mrs. Jones from Alabama, dear Mr. and Mrs. somebody from some great state, I'm sorry to inform you, your son has been killed in combat. I'm so sorry. It's the hardest thing that I have to do. And I sign those letters and it it just, uh, it, it breaks your heart. And sometimes I go out to a place, Dover Air Force Base. It's a very tough experience. We go out there and we meet the parents and the families, the wives, the children, the sisters, the brothers. We meet them and we talk to them. These things are just impossible. I don't know how parents can do it even. And I'll be talking to some of the parents and they'll act like they're fine. I said, how are you doing? We're fine, sir. We're fine. We're really good. I said, that's great. And I'll tell the colonel, I said, Colonel, 
I think they're doing great. No, sir. They're not going to do great. You'll see. And I didn't know what he was talking about. This is the first time. And then we went outside to the runway, and this incredible machine is flying in, and it lands, and it comes over, and it pulls up. That door opens up, and the colonel told me, he said, sir, when that door opens up, those same people that you think are okay do things that you'll never see. You will hear sounds like you've never heard. That's what he does. And I saw that door open up with a coffin, with a flag over it, and these beautiful soldiers, five or six on each side, lifting the coffin and walking down the runway, the plank, they call it, off this cargo plane. And I see parents make sounds, scream and cry, like you've never seen before. A mother who was fine 20 minutes ago, you think, breaking the military line and jumping off, and then jumping onto a coffin of her son or her daughter. Jumping on, on top of the flowers, on top of the American flag. I've seen this. We were supposed to be in Syria for 30 days. We've now been there for 10 years. We were supposed to be in Afghanistan for a short period of time. We're now going to be there for close to 19 years. It's time to bring them home. It's time to bring them home. Bring our troops back home. Isn't that a great video? I challenge anybody. I challenge anybody who's spent the last week saying what an awful thing it is to get out of these foreign war zones. I challenge any of those people to watch something like that and consider, you know, you, you there are victims all over the world. The people of the United States, the UK, uh, Australia, the Western powers. Here's the other thing for you too. The people over there don't want us there. They do not want us there. For the last 20 years, we have been accused of being imperialist war criminal invading foreign scum for the efforts that now tens of thousands of families have had to deal with. Scenes like that. Bringing home their sons and their daughters like that. So I would challenge any of the people who are saying that getting out of these war zones is the wrong thing to do, to watch something like that, consider all of the families who have made those sacrifices and then stand up there on your phony, petulant pedestals in the corporate press and make the same kind of pronouncements about people lacking empathy. Because whilst there are victims everywhere on planet Earth when it comes to war and it's horrible, surely, surely, after 20 years of continuous war in this area, maybe it's fair to say that some people have given enough. Maybe it's fair to say that some people have sacrificed enough now. And yes, there are victims in the thousands over there, but there are also victims in the thousands coming back the other way. So no more of this talk about, oh, he doesn't have empathy. Oh, he doesn't care. Okay, you don't like the president. You think he doesn't have empathy. He doesn't He doesn't care. Fine. Talk to the fucking parents then. 
talk to them. See what they think. <laughs> right? Maybe it's time for people to say enough. Maybe. Just maybe. Just maybe. But maybe not. Um, the link for that clip will be in the show notes. If you go to the podcast website, the podcast hosting website, which is, uh, I think it's boogiebumper.podbean.com. After the show, when I post up the podcast, you'll have all the links that we use in every episode right underneath that link. So you just got to click on it. Uh, I want to show you another one here and then we'll get into the CNN stuff. We, we showed this video on Trust and Verify last night. But I want to go over it again and I want to go a little bit deeper here because I was thinking about it after the show finished. And there are so many parables for modern society in this short two minutes of footage that it, it only came to my realization after the show was over. And it's a bit different when you're used to doing a show on your own like I am. I can really take my time and explore things. But when, when you're with a co-host, you've kind of got to be conscious of the fact that you can't be the only one speaking for an hour and a half. <laughs> so you try to get out a little bit, you know, a few minutes here and there and then pass it off and then the conversation just naturally changes, right? Especially on Trust and Verify, we try to keep it moving pretty quickly because we've got a lot of material to get through. Um, so I wanted to go back over this, just, just maybe spend five minutes or so pointing out all of the parables with the modern world that exist in this very little clip. It's a great little microcosm. It's a snapshot of modern society, of where we are. You'll see what I mean when we get into it. Uh, for those who missed it, this was at the LGBTQ um, Equality Town Hall or whatever it was, which was on at the same time as Donald Trump's um, rally in, I think it was Louisiana, might have been the day before in Minnesota, I'm not sure, one of the two. And apparently it got the lowest ratings of anything on TV at that time, by the way, which is a story in of itself. But let's go through and identify the things that that indicate to us like a bigger thing happening in society. The, the little parallels, the little microcosms that exist in this very clip. Have a look at this. I just want to take a moment before I ask my question to validate the pain of our transgender siblings that demonstrated earlier and that have spoken up today. Now, even just straight away, straight off the bat there, right? I'm thinking about what she's saying there. Like that, that's just real life virtue signaling, right? See, on this show, I try not to do the cliched things. Like after shooting, I don't feel the need to come out and say that a shooting is wrong because it's assumed that it's wrong. And nothing annoys me more than when you watch like panel shows and discussion shows where everybody has to go around the room and they all have to say the exact same thing. Well, before we, before we start talking tonight, can I just say that I find this particular thing abhorrent and I have nothing but sympathy? Yes, we all, we all know that. We all pretty much assume that you find mass murder abhorrent. <laughs> the only reason that you should mention uh, your feelings about mass murder is if you don't find it abhorrent. Then it's interesting. Then there's a reason to say it. So, like, let's just assume that everybody is on board with that emotional disposition at this point, okay? I hate that stuff. Like, if you weren't offended, then I can understand getting on there on the, on the panel show and they go around and say, I just got to say that this is horrible. I need to say that the thoughts and prayers, I need to say that this is abhorrent. Get to the next guy and he's like, you know what? I've just got to say, I don't really give a fuck. <laughs> and now all of a sudden you've got my attention. Now I'm listening to that guy, right? <clears throat> so when she gets up there, I'm trying to think like, what does that even mean? I would just like to validate the feelings of the people who spoke before. What? what 
what do you what do you what is it like a parking ticket? I don't, I don't understand what you're saying here. Like, does that mean you you go over and pat them on the head or something? Like, how does that make them feel better? You're validating their feelings. How and and why? <laughs> and then it dawned on me. This is the kind of stuff that would happen in a group therapy session. Like a group counselling session. You know, if you watch uh, the movies or TV or something, like say drug addiction or alcohol or whatever it is or some kind of emotional pain, people dealing with cancer, whatever the fuck it is. When you get people in these circles, the person who is directing this group discussion will say, Okay, now feel free to say anything that you want. I just want you to know that we're we're validating your feelings, right? There's no judgment here. These people want to turn the rest of the world into a group therapy session for their own convenience. Like once upon a time, it wasn't on the rest of society to validate your fears, to validate your anger, to validate your sadness. It was on you. You were the one that had to deal with it. But for some reason, we've now taken that that sort of group counselling dynamic out of the confines of an intimate setting with, you know, maybe half a dozen people and somebody leading the discussion. And they're now leading the discussion of their own group counselling session in the rest of society. And without you know, asking permission, without us volunteering to be part of this group therapy session, it's now just expected of us that we should participate. That when somebody says something uh, that they feel uncomfortable or they feel sad or they feel offended, it's implied that the rest of us are to sit around in this circle and say, I validate your feelings. I understand can we work through? Can you tell me more? Can we discuss it? Can we work together? That's that's just become the new normal out of nowhere. And, you know, I have sympathy for people. I don't want people feeling bad, but at the same time, I don't want to be part of your group therapy session. I kind of want you to deal with your problems and I'll deal with my problems. And then we'll get together at the end of it, have a nice drink or something. Unless, you're, unless, of course, you're Alcoholics Anonymous, then, you know, you can have a soda. That's fine. But I kind of want you to take care of your shit. I don't think it's the rest of us. I don't think it's our responsibility to do it for you. But that's just the, that's just the environment that they're creating and forcing on the rest of us. Because if you say something out of turn, if you say something that isn't strictly... Uh, adhering to the line of the rules of the group therapy session, then you become the demon. You get shouted down. You, you, you're awful. Why are you in this session? If you're just going to sit there and make fun of people, if you're going to sit there and be heartless and callous, if you're going to sit there and not care, why are you even part of this group session? I say, good, good question. I didn't ask to be part of this group session, but here I am. You've made the group session around me. And now you're forcing me to participate in it. And I just wonder, of all the people in this crowd here, when they were watching this this pantomime take place in front of them, how many of them are thinking to themselves, are, are we going too far here? Like, is this too much? But that's that's one parable. Especially black trans women. 
<laughs> now, at this point, the black trans woman, who I later find out is a budding Twitter personality who was doing this to go viral so she could get followers on Twitter. Don't worry, we'll have a look at that too. Uh, at this point, she gets up out of her chair, uninvited, just walks over and just grabs the microphone out of this woman's hand. And I was amazed when I was looking at, you know, Twitter comments under this video, people saying, you go, girl, good on you. It's about time people listened. Congratulations for speaking. You're so brave. You know, the usual stuff. And I thought, well, there's the validation in the uh, group counselling session in action right there. You, you can do no wrong. There are no wrong answers here kind of mentality, right? But when... <laughs> I don't care if what your identity is, if it's not your turn, somebody, she's been waiting there all day to get her turn on the microphone. And she's there with her kid and she's got something to say and you just walk up and snatch the microphone out of her hand. You're, you're not a victim at that point. You are just a jerk. That's something a jerk would do. Like you're an asshole. <laughs> If somebody's speaking in one of these group counselling sessions and another person just stands up and starts talking over the top of them and starts making it all about them, then that person is a jerk. That person is an inconsiderate asshole. They don't respect anybody else in the room except themselves. So I find it very difficult to find this like a, a figure of victimhood when you've basically just walked up and barged a mother out of the way, taken the microphone out of her hands and made it all about you. And it wasn't even your turn. Nobody asked you to speak. Nobody asked you to stand up. Nobody called on you. You're just a jerk. <laughs> but in a parable for society, as long as you announce your, your specific, you know, identitarian flaw, whatever it is, Whatever, you, whatever your niche identity representation is, as long as you announce that from the outset, how many times do you see this in wider society? As long as you announce it from the outset and as long as you are sufficiently high up the victim totem pole, you can do whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. You can be rude. You can be aggressive. You can cut in line. You can be a jerk. As long as you have a sufficient standing in the victim hierarchy, you can be a jerk. You can be an arsehole and nobody's going to stop you. In fact, they'll give you a round of applause for doing it. When did that become the thing? When did that happen? Tell you something, black trans women are being killed in this country and CNN, you have erased black trans women for the last time. Let me tell you something, black trans women are dying, our lives matter. I'm an extraordinary black trans. Like, look at the mum. <clears throat> the mum there with her kid. She nearly knocked the kid over when she walked past him or her or they, sorry. But the mum's standing there nodding in agreement. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for taking my turn to speak. Thank you for snatching the microphone out of my hand. Your pain is more important than anything I would have to say. And another parable for society, when somebody with a sufficient number of, you know, points in the victim score 
when somebody like that gets up and speaks and screams and cuts in front and takes somebody else's turn and makes it all about them, we bend the knee. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I was in your way. I'm sorry that I had the audacity to stand up and speak. I should have been thinking of you. Your life's more important than mine. Sorry, I'm such a bigot. I forgot that this is a group therapy session and the attention should go to the person who decides that their their victimhood, their, their group therapy is more important than everybody else's. We bend the knee. We get out of the way. Sorry about that. Give them a round of applause. Nod their head. Yes. I agree. It's awful. When did that happen in society? Why did it happen? This person's just a jerk who snatched a microphone and started screaming at everybody. This woman, and I deserve to be here. My black trans sisters that are here. I am tired. I am so tired. I'm just sitting there. And it's not just my black trans women. It's my black trans... I deserve to be here. I, 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 me, me, me. But you, but you did it at the expense of somebody else. And you did it at the expense of somebody else, and that somebody else didn't have, you know, the ability to just hang on to the microphone and go, I'm sorry, sit the fuck down, it's my turn. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a normal person would, at that point, when the person comes up and snatches the microphone out of your hand, a normal person would say, what are you doing? I'm, I'm sorry, hold the microphone away. What are you doing? <laughs> sit the fuck down. But because this person has sufficient points in the victim hierarchy, you're not allowed to say that. You have to bend the knee. It's expected of you to bend the knee. You have to get out of the way. Enter the media. Because we're talking about validation here, right? As society, we validate these kinds of jerky moves that people make. We validate the inconsiderate. We validate the asshole by giving them a pat on the back and telling them how good it is and how brave they are. Brothers, enter the media. And I'm going to say what I'm going to say. I'm going to say what no, I'm going to say. No, I'm going to Come here. No, no, I just want to ask you something. Come I'm here. Tell me. Come here. I want you to talk. What's your name? I'm Blossom C. Brown. Blossom, let me ask you. Google me. Blossom. Please Google me. Blossom, thank Please you. Please Google let me. Let me tell you something. Let me, let me, no, don't come on the stage. Don't okay, come on okay. the stage. Can, may I have the mic? Okay. May I have the mic? Blossom, let me tell okay. you something. The reason that we're here is to validate people like you. It's all about you, Blossom. That's another parable. The media now, in large part, the corporate press, exists to keep this continuation of rewarding shitty behavior going. We reward the people who scream. We reward the people who snatch microphones. We reward the people that lecture us. We give them pats on the back. We say, this is all about you. We're here for you. I validate your feelings. I validate your behavior. You've got enough points on the victim hierarchy. You can stand up. You can snatch a microphone out of a mother's hands. You can nearly knock a kid over. You can march down to the stage like you own the fucking show. You can scream in everybody's faces. You can say that this whole show is a sham because they haven't spoken about you yet and what you feel and what you're going through. And instead of the host, instead of the corporate media doing what it used to do, 
by saying, um, no, we're not going to reward somebody who acts like that in a town hall. Like, you know, there's rules here. So, you know, just wait your turn. You'll get a chance to speak. Be respectful of other people. You know, basic common courtesy shit that everybody just knew once upon a time. Basic courtesy. No, the corporate media does the opposite. Blossom, come here. Tell me your name. This is all about you. This is all about making you feel better. That's why we're here, baby. It's, it's, it's no wonder we are where we are now. It's validation. It is a group, it is a group counseling session that none of us asked to be a part of, yet we're all here and we're all expected to validate what's going on in it. Unbeknownst to ourselves. Enter the politician. Further validation. Beto O'Rourke, ladies and gentlemen. He's not going to win, but that's okay. Blossom, thank you for making your voice heard tonight. We will hold a town hall focused on trans women of colour. All of a sudden, there's going to be a whole episode dedicated to Blossom now. Because she jumped up, snatched a microphone, nearly knocked a kid over, started screaming in everyone's faces, stormed the stage and refused to sit down. Now they're going to do a whole show about her. Validation. Get out of the way. And so I, I follow. I gave Blossom a follow. I thought I've got to keep tabs on this young lady. She's got moxie. Uh, real Bros uh, Blossom Brown, season one of I Am Kate, actress, producer, filmmaker, and activist. She's gained uh, a few thousand followers. I, I think maybe 10,000 followers <laughs> in the last 24 to 48 hours. She got her viral moment. She's also an actress, a producer, a filmmaker, and an activist. You need to Google her. Remember, she yelled it out. Google me. Google me. Hopefully the job offers come rolling in. Ain't that the darndest thing? Speaking of validation, not everybody is a victim. Johnson & Johnson ordered to pay $8 billion to man who said drug caused him to grow breasts. Isn't that funny that some people will pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to have breasts uh, implanted and their penis removed. If you take psycho uh, drugs for psychotic conditions, anti-psychotic drugs, if you take the right one, you might get $8 billion in return. You won't have to pay for a goddamn thing. <laughs> I want to hear from that person. Maybe we can have a town hall dedicated to this guy. Johnson & Johnson was ordered to pay $8 billion in punitive damages in a case where a man said the drug company didn't warn that an antipsychotic drug could lead to breast growth in boys, a Philadelphia jury ruled on Tuesday. Think of that. So you're taking medication for your psychotic condition. You're taking medication, you think you're going crazy, and then you start growing breasts. <laughs> Am I going crazy or have I got tits now? How the hell did that happen, Doc? Don't worry. Just hand over the $8 billion and we'll be sweet. We'll be fine. Thanks. All right. Let's do this. Let's get to the main part. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, CNN exposed Project Veritas, James O'Keefe, dropping their first video today. I haven't watched a single second of it. I have no idea what's coming. I've heard things and I've, you know, I've heard people talking about it. But let's watch this together, shall we? Let's see what's going on down at CNN. Morning, everybody. Um, okay, let's start with Washington, please. I, I, I don't care about the other stuff in the event. Okay, 
Uh, my name is Kerry Forch. I'm a satellite uplink technician. I'm a contractor at the CNN Washington DC. <laughs> Correction, Kerry, you were a technician at CNN. <laughs> <laughs> That's something I'm wondering because, you know, this whistleblower guy has just gone full public straight out of the blocks. Like, as, a, as he's still an employee of CNN. So I just wonder, one, how long is he going to be an employee there for? But two, um, CNN, Brian Stelter, Jake Tapper, Don Lemon have recently, they've been, they've been spending the last week talking about how important it is to protect whistleblowers and how important it is to reveal truth. So I just wonder if they're going to protect this whistleblower. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or is he going to find himself on the unemployment line by the end of the week? I suspect the latter, but you never know. Bureau. But Jeff Zucker, yeah, basically president of CNN, has a personal vendetta against Trump. <laughs> Uh, the, the voice you're hearing there is Nick Neville, the media coordinator at CNN. So not the guy who cleans toilets, not the guy who serves soup in the diner, not the guy who makes the coffees, not the guy who answers the phone. The the media coordinator saying that Jeff Zucker, the president of CNN, has a personal vendetta against Trump. Well, who would have th thunk it? It's not going to be positive for Trump. He hates oh, yeah. it. He's going to be negative. Uh, I decided to wear a hidden camera. Media created this monster. Media created the Trump monster. Oh, this is good. This is worth it already. We're only 50 seconds in. I decided to secretly record the 9 a.m. rundown call meetings, and it's basically run by Jeff Zucker, the president of CNN. came to work at CNN, I mean, it was my dream job. And that dream actually just turned into a nightmare. So I, I just want to say on the Lindsey Graham front, I know that there's a lot of people at CNN that are friendly with Lindsey Graham. Time to knock that off. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's going on in America now is really fundamental. Look, I know a lot of you guys are friendly. I know a lot of you guys are friendly with uh, Lindsey Graham. Knock that shit off. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to tell you who you can be friends with, all right? I'm just the president of CNN. I'm not going to tell you what you should write about. But any of you people out there who are friends with Lindsey Graham, knock that shit off. It's time to take this guy down a couple of pegs. This is fantastic. Essentially, uh, the result of years uh, of uh, fake news, conspiracy, uh, nonsense from fake out he was calling Fox News fake news and a propaganda machine. And with what I saw, I'm like, that's pretty much what CNN was. Like, it was just pumping <laughs> out propaganda. Uh, the, the, the fake conspiracy nonsense that uh, Fox has spread for years uh, is now deeply embedded in American society. The fake conspiracy nonsense that Fox has, it, it's just never... <laughs> Here's the, here's the thing that we talk about on this show a lot. Where are the moments of self-reflection? Just fleeting moments of self-reflection. 
Well, you know, those you can have your issues with Fox. I have them too. Many people do. There are millions and millions and millions of videos, hours worth of videos and copy written about how evil Fox News is every single day. Fine. I'm not even going to argue the point. Fine. Take it. But where is the self-reflection? This is the president of CNN. He's saying Fox News has been spreading conspiracies for years and that's now deeply embedded in society. Russia, 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 mate. (laughs) Russia, 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 Russia. How about Covington High School kids? How about that one? The evil special breaking tonight. Evil Nazi children stare in the face of a poor Indian man and make racial slurs. It's like, (sighs) where are the moments of self-reflection? No, no, it's all their fault. We have been perfect. We are pristine. We are untouched. We are pure as driven snow. We are as pure as the milk from an angel's teat. We have done nothing wrong. We continue to do nothing wrong. It's all those guys over there and their conspiracy theories. That's what's fucking the country. Never a moment. And so I used to think it was just the journalists. I used to think that the people higher up wouldn't be so daft. I thought the journalists probably have a lot of pride invested. It's their name on the article. It's their name on the film clip. It's their name on the show, right? So it's harder for them to walk shit back because they've invested so much in some of these theories. They have thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people that hang on their every word. And I thought, well, the people higher up, surely they don't have this same kind of mantra. Surely they don't operate in the same kind of vacuum. The president of CNN, ladies and gentlemen. Ah, it's all those guys over there. They're the ones who are ruining the country, not us. (laughs) We're fine. We never get anything wrong. (laughs) Jesus. Uh, And frankly, that is beyond destructive to America. It's beyond destructive. I just wanted to own where they're at. Like, hey, if we if we lean left, cool. Let's just say we lean left. If we lean right, let it be known. But I, again, it just dovetails back to that thing. I just want people to have the information to make up their own minds. He's known Trump for a long time. Like they worked together back during The Apprentice. And hates his guts. The story. That's obviously talking about impeachment stuff. Look, I know some of you guys out there on the front line are going to feel like that everybody's kind of getting sick of the impeachment talk. I know you're going to feel like we're just doing impeachment to death and everybody's sick of impeachment and we're doing Russia too much. And I know you're going to feel that way, but just keep doing it. (laughs) Keep going. Remember, uh, the media coordinator said that the president of CNN has a personal vendetta against Donald Trump. Arguing, perhaps, that CNN is being used as a vehicle for his own personal quest for revenge. And, you know, your own personal quest for revenge might be newsworthy, but using a whole... uh, using a whole media conglomerate as an instrument of exacting this revenge... Sounds a little unethical, just off the top. Maybe, just. It's only unethical if you're not honest about it, anyway. 
he sold himself to the devil. It's sad. Let's start the uh, anti-Trump crusade. Man, what was it like the morning after this past election? But that day, like, man, just at 6 a.m. in the morning when I came in, like, the mood was just so sourpuss the whole day. Sourpuss. Love that mood. I bet at Fox it was, like, euphoria. CNN likes to call itself the most trusted name in news, but that's not the story we heard from a CNN insider who blew the whistle, recorded everything. Master of Blackjack in YouTube says, look, I said what the news shall be, and that's that. Okay, I don't want to hear another word about it. We're doing impeachment, we're doing Russia, and anybody who's been friendly with Lindsey Graham, you're out, you're fired, fuck you. <laughs> you need to drop that shit immediately. It's time to call this bastard out. And came to Project Veritas earlier this year. Would it be fair to say that you being here today is is it is it's not politically motivated? That's correct. I it's not politics that motivates me. It's basically me wanting the news to be what they used to be, news. A personal friend of mine, I think I've told this story before, but I'm, I'm not, I won't reveal too much. A personal friend of mine is an absolute genius when it comes to journalism. A star. Studied whilst balancing two babies on his lap. Smashed academic records, got all the awards, all the highest distinctions. Refuses to work in the industry. Packing boxes at a factory somewhere. And I said, why the hell aren't you doing it, man? This is your dream. You're the best. We need people like you in the game. Said, can't, I can't be surrounded by all of these, these people. I can't do it. I can't do it every single day. These people are just, all they focus on is how to manipulate stories for clicks. And he said, I can't do it. I can't be there. Can't be part of that atmosphere. So there's going to be plenty of people who say, oh, this is bullshit. This guy's a Trump lover, blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't be surprised if he's not. The, the, the sad reality is the overwhelming majority of people that go into journalism simply because you have to graduate with an arts degree means that very few conservative type minded people do it. If you want, if you want like real conservative journalism, you have to go on the Internet to the websites where people say, oh, it's fake news. You can't trust it. If you want people with ethics that aren't motivated by clicks, you have to go outside the corporate sphere. Because the way these things generally work is uh, you get like an internship. The, the guy who's offering the internship calls the professor that he studied under. The professor might be a rabid leftist. Uh, the professor picks the the student that most they most agree with or they most they find the most talent in. Oftentimes, actually all the time, your your marks are not a reflection of your aptitude per se. Your marks are a reflection of what your professor thinks of them, thinks of your work. So if you can stroke the ego and the political tendency of your professor, if they're a shitty professor, they'll make it very clear very early on just with the materials they choose to use in the classroom, the learning materials they choose to read from, you'll pick it up pretty quickly. So once you figure that out, you'll be able to write to their tune. You'll be able to write things that uh, correspond with their own personal perspective. Then you get the good marks. If you're smart enough, that's what you do. You do your time, you get the hell out of there. So these internships are offered to the students who best identify with the professor. And so the cycle just continues. And that's why the overwhelming majority 
of corporate media is, you know, a left-wing biased situation. And I'm not even saying that that's necessarily bad. I'm just saying that that's that's the that's what hap- that's the consequence of the system. That's what happens when you get a whole bunch of people into a liberal arts college to get them a degree to to get into journalism at a later time. It's just naturally going to happen that way. The conservative people unlikely to get jobs at places like CNN, MSNBC. Uh, the conservative corporate press is. Even though Fox is bigger than all of these other channels, it's just one place compared to all of these other places. Um, so jobs are a lot harder to get. So most of the really good uh, writers of a conservative bent or people that don't want to write clickbait, they end up working at either think tanks or working for private industry, you know, doing PR and stuff like that. It's generally the way it goes. And not a... Um, infotainment or a game show or chasing the ratings like get like CNN purports it to be facts first and that's clearly not the case. Kerry Porch has worked for CNN for two years. He says when he started he had high hopes for the job but he quickly became disillusioned. We've got high hopes. We've got high hopes. I'm just so excited my first day at CNN. What do you want me to do boss? I don't know. Uh, call Lindsey Graham a son of a bitch and talk more about Russia. Um, well, should, I've, re- I've got this great story here about a, you know, a flesh-eating virus that's ripping through two-thirds of the rest of the world. Should we talk about that? There's no time, man. Focus on the impeachment and focus on that son of a bitch, Lindsey Graham. I don't care if you're friends with him. It's time to attack this bastard. <laughs> Illusioned as he was exposed to rampant anti-Trump bias at the network. I noticed after, again, this is fairly rapidly after I started, within the first three to six months, that there was a strong groupthink that permeated through the halls and that everyone was on board the, you know, I hate Trump train or I want to, you know, basically go after anyone, you know, on the center or on the right. <clears throat> now, Again, take the comments that we heard from the president of CNN out of the equation just for a moment. Just for a moment. I'm somebody who tends to think that it's not necessarily a conspiracy that there is groupthink in these organizations. Take on board what I said before about how people get these jobs in the first place. You tend to hire people that you like. And if you're doing politics, then you tend to hire people who are more politically like you than opposed to you. Like, you're just not going to hire somebody that you're going to argue with 24 hours a day, right? It's not conducive to a harmonious work environment. It might not be conducive to objective reporting either, but that might be a secondary consideration in lots of these places. There are, there are many people out there who've you know written books about business and stuff who say that uh, HR is destroying is destroying capitalism. That HR departments are ruining companies. So it's not necessarily a conspiracy theory to say, oh, they're all in there and they're all told what to write. If you're doing it properly, you don't have to tell people what to write. If you're doing it properly, you just make sure that you hire people who agree. <laughs> you just make sure you hire people who think a certain way. Then you don't have to tell them what to write at all. That's my general position on that. But then, of course, we saw the, um, you know, the director of CNN basically barking instructions down a phone to say, keep going on impeachment. Attack Lindsey Graham. We need to keep going. 
And that, so it kind of shatters that um, false reality I'd built up over many years. Politically. Porch secretly recorded several of CNN's 9 a.m. morning editorial calls where CNN's president, Jeff Zucker, leads the anti-Trump charge. We're moving towards uh, 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 impeachment. I mean, don't, like, you know, we shouldn't pretend, oh, this is going one way. And, and so all these moves uh, are moves towards wow. uh, impeachment. So don't, uh, don't lose sight of what the big story is. <laughs> Even that level of direction I would find horrifying if I was in there. That level of direction from the president of CNN coming down and saying, basically instructing you that everything that's happening right now is happening, is moving towards impeachment. So don't get sidetracked on things that aren't impeachment. Just remember what the big story is, and that's impeachment. Basically telling you to tie everything back to impeachment. Like, I would sit there at that point and look around and go, are we really going to fucking listen to this? Did you hear what this guy just said? That we, What, we have to write everything has to do with impeachment now? What the fuck is this? Sometimes things aren't to do with impeachment, you know, Mr. Zucker. Boss? Any any column space dedicated to that? No, it's all, it's all impeachment all the time. Okay. Wow. They're done every day, Monday through Friday, and it's basically run by Jeff Zucker, the president of CNN from the New York Bureau, and he would basically, um, you know, he, he runs it with an iron fist, and it's actually respectable, it's like listening to him run his business, it's kind of fascinating, but hearing that from the strongest and most prominent voice, you know, the number one is on every day just hammering Trump in some way, shape, or form. Cleo said, I can't wait to hear Trump talk about this. Can I, can I give you a little... Uh not-so-bold prediction about how Trump might address this. I don't think Trump will, like, tweet out videos necessarily, but he might wait until, like, a rally or something, or he'll wait till like, a phone-in interview with, um, say, Bartiromo or Judge Deneen or something like that, and he'll say, well, you know, you know, the press has been very unfair, very unfair. Your show's great. You're, I, I know you. I noticed you're doing very well in the ratings, very good people, tremendous people, but, uh, you know, mostly the press has been very unfair. And, I mean... You know, we know so much now. Uh, you you saw the uh, videos by the uh, what's what's that the Veritas the Veritas people. You know, they're sitting there saying, "Hey, you got to attack Trump all the time." And you know, well, we we always knew that they're very unfair. And then that'll that'll be it. And then they'll say Donald Trump promotes dangerous conspiracy theory by propagandist James O'Keefe in Project Veritas. And then the whole cycle will start up again. He'll probably wait a few days until it starts to die down, and then he'll breathe more life into it by just casually mentioning it in passing, <laughs> which will be enough for his detractors in the press to go right over the cliff, as they always do when he does something like that, take the bait hook, line, and sinker, and basically end up as like a prize-winning snapper flapping around in the bottom of his of his boat, <laughs> gasping for seawater. <laughs> or Republicans in general about, you know, yeah, all these other stories might be happening, but we want to divert all our resources to this aspect of Trump or that aspect of Trump, or most recently, it's just all about impeachment, 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 impeachment. Yeah. On the calls are the top leadership of the network, Zucker, CNN's president, Virginia Mosley, CNN's senior vice president of news gathering. There's a um, second whistleblower, um, and that this now fortifies the complaint. And David Chow, vice president and CNN political director. 
See, the, the, the funny thing about that is if you're paying attention to this stuff, and I do for material by and large, the second whistleblower story, right? Now, if it was me, I would say I'm not going to report on the second whistleblower until I actually know what the second whistleblower says. They didn't wait for that. They didn't wait for that green light. For them, the mere existence of a second whistleblower, as was said by their deputy news director or whatever she is, that was enough. And then they go out. They go out into the world and start spreading the word. Hey, there's a second whistleblower, and this fortifies what the first whistleblower said. Well, first of all, what the first whistleblower said was kind of flimsy. And the fact that the second whistleblower, the the lawyers for the second whistleblower haven't said anything... (laughs) doesn't fortify shit at this point. That would be my natural reaction to that. I'd be like, hey, I'm happy to report that there is a second whistleblower, but I'm not going to editorialise and say that this proves that the first one is telling the truth because I don't know what they're saying yet. And it seems at that point I would get a, you know, a dressing down from the director of CNN at that point and say, just remember, everything, everything's about impeachment, guys. Don't get stuck going on things that aren't impeachment. Just remember, everything that's happening right now is moving towards impeachment. So that's what we need to focus on. Unbelievable. Who is this guy? David Challen, VP, CNN political director. Look at this quote. I think as big of a story as what President Trump has done here is the Republicans' sort of either delusional or defiant or silent responses. If, if you've been keeping track of the news, if you've been keeping track of the CNN opinion shows, it's like you've just been given a roadmap. At, by the, it's like you've been given a map at the end of the trip. Like we've already gone on the journey and now I see how they got there. Now I'm like, wow, look at this. Look at this. I'm seeing the exact same words getting used in every six o'clock headline. Defiant, delusional, silent, GOP. GOP is delusional. GOP sits silent while Donald Trump is uh, getting impeached. Like they're not coming out. The GOP needs to come out and speak out against Donald Trump. They're defiant and silent and delusional. It's uncanny. On the calls to executive producers and news staffers across the country, it is clear that Zucker wants his network to stay focused on impeachment and nothing else. Consensus. Guns will be the central topic in the 2020 Democratic yeah. nomination race today. Uh, the Giffords package paired up with MSNBC. They've got a uh, gun town hall in Las Vegas. Ten candidates will be showing up there throughout the day. I, I, I don't care about the MSNBC. Look, I don't care what the news is today. I don't care what other people are saying the news is. For us, we're just doing impeachment. We're going to stick to impeachment like shit to a blanket. That's our focus today. Don't worry about don't worry about the town hall. Don't worry about the Democratic town hall about guns. We're not worried about that. I don't care about that. Focus on impeachment. <laughs> the director of CNN. 
the comments every day, more shoes drop, and it's like, there's just nothing we can do if Zucker wants impeachment every single day to be the top story. That's what he so, wants. Yeah, he wants impeachment. So Above all else, I'm Above all else. Wow. You know, I totally understand that. There's... <laughs> what happened to fearless journalism? What happened to fearless reporting? I told you the story about my mate who refuses to work in the industry because he can't be surrounded by these people. He's got principles. He's got convictions. It's like, nah, I'm not working with these scumbags. I'm not doing it. And here you have these employees saying, well, if the director wants if the if the director wants us to talk about impeachment all day, then we have no choice. We have to do it. We have to do it. There's nothing we can do. What happened to brave reporting, brave journalism? What happened to saying, we never, I've heard, I've watched Brian Stelter say it himself. Here at CNN, we don't get any kind of direction from upstairs. That's a right-wing conspiracy theory. That's a conspiracy theory to say that the bosses are telling us what to talk about. Here you have one of the underbosses of this mafia-like organization saying, well, you know what? If the big boss wants us to talk about nothing but impeachment, then I guess we're doing fucking impeachment, all right? Stop busting my balls over it. We're just going to have to talk about impeachment. That's what the boss wants. That's what the Dawn wants, all right? Most, if not all, the people I work with will never want to speak to me again or possibly have you know, negative motivations after the fact. Like, I get... Oh, I, I wouldn't... I don't think not getting a Christmas card is your biggest concern right now, comrade, just to be fair. <laughs> I don't think... I don't think not getting invited to the company picnic is what you should be focusing on. Like, let them focus on impeachment. Uh, impeachment. You focus on getting your locks changed, perhaps. <laughs> that I get where they're coming from. But I always respect the people that I worked with. They were amazing at their job, and many of them felt the same way. They just felt trapped that they couldn't say it. Nick Neville is a media coordinator in CNN's Washington bureau. He says not everyone at the network agrees with Zucker's anti-Trump agenda. Yeah, because what's difficult is like we have some conflicting um, things at play here. Like there's a lot of people who are out here trying to like just do what they think is like the best of journalistic integrity, and then you get on the 9 a.m. call and Big Boss Jeff Zucker tells you what to do. Oh, woo! Oh, <laughs> kid. Oh, sunshine. <laughs> I'm not sure that there's going to be a 9 a.m. call tomorrow, but somebody may be getting into call, maybe getting called into Jeff Zucker fucking Berg's office. <laughs> Whoa. You know, it's just like bullshit, man. Like, there's people out here trying to, like, do the right thing, like journalistic integrity or whatever. And then, you know, you get the 9 a.m. call from the big boss, Jeff Zucker, and he just fucking tells you what to do. Wow. Ooh. Once again, the guy speaking is a guy named Nick Neville, who happens to be not the toilet cleaner, not the coffee maker, not the secretary, but the media coordinator at CNN. <laughs> and it seems he is none too pleased with the directions coming from head office. Uh, and it's like you have to, like, to a certain extent, you have to follow his verdict. Yeah, you gotta go with the, with the 
downhill, so you got to go with, with, with the boss there. Yeah. And he's not a uh, well, he's big. Uh, he, I mean, he's he's like had an ongoing feud with Trump. It's no surprise. Yeah, he's yeah. Had an ongoing feud with Trump since The Apprentice. In 2004, Jeff Zucker was one of the. <laughs> The director of CNN, personal vendetta, ongoing feud with Donald Trump since The Apprentice. He tells them to do nothing but impeachment and they have to do it. He's the big boss. He tells them what to write. You'll write what you're told. Holy shit. Executive producers at N. Ladies and gentlemen, real news. <laughs> real news. Oh, I feel I feel like I should be watching CNN. They'll spend the first twenty four hours pretending like this didn't happen. I suspect, <laughs> and as a, then the, then it'll be the usual lines. Ah, uh, comments taken out of context. That that's the favorite. That's the go to move. Uh, comments taken out of context. You don't understand. Edited. The clips were edited to make it appear like we were saying things. Right? All the usual shit. And then slowly over the next month, anybody who said anything in front of this guy with the camera will just be slowly re. <laughs> they'll be repurposed into some other position in the fucking mail room where there are no cameras and no no journalism whatsoever taking place until they quit. That that'll be what happens from now on. NBC Entertainment that greenlighted and produced The Apprentice, a show that turned Donald Trump from real estate tycoon to a mega star. Many say the shows and Trump's success helped Zucker rise to the top at NBC. And then, according to Neville and others, Zucker as the president of CNN helped Trump become the mega candidate. He's known Trump for a long time. Like, they worked together back during The Apprentice. And so. hates his guts. I hate everything how everything is like all trump all the time now everyone at my everyone at the network complains about it they <laughs> another media coordinator if you're listening to the podcast christian sierra i hate that everything at the network is just all trump now everybody at the network hates it <laughs> So it gets even better. So not only are the people working at CNN, ladies and gentlemen, being forced to cover how much they hate Donald Trump on a daily basis and just talk about Trump all the time and talk about impeachment, not only are they being forced to do it, they also hate doing it. (laughs) Oh, that's got to hurt. So the rest of the country hates you because all you're doing is talking about Donald Trump. And when you go home, you hate yourself as well. <laughs> Jesus. They hate covering Trump every day. They hate covering I'm Trump every day. I'm surprised been able to take down Trump yet. I was just like, I was like, I mean, I mean, I feel like they're trying, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, what could they do more, I mean, other than what they've been doing? Yeah. Yeah. Well. But to a certain extent, CNN created uh, created Trump's celebrity. They created this whole 
like not his celebrity but created his candidacy made him legitimate because they they felt like they needed to show everything that he did from the beginning so like Jeff Zucker can't really complain like he kind of put this in action why would they do that though truly I don't get it ratings that's something that's something that uh James and myself have often discussed on Trust and Verify on a Sunday night. <laughs> These people are so obsessed. Now we know why. Now we know where it's coming from. It's because it's it's clear that this guy obviously has such a hatred for Donald Trump, a personal visceral hatred, right? A personal he is directing his whole media organization into the toilet for this personal vendetta. The people working there know it, the people working there hate it, and the people working there have no fucking understanding why he is doing it. He's driving his whole company down the tubes for a personal vendetta. And when you're that emotionally invested in somebody, it clouds your judgment. So James, we've often argued, like, why is it that... They people come out and say you need to stop covering Trump so much. Like other people, other journalists, other publications, they argue that every time you cover Donald Trump, you're amplifying his message and you're making him stronger, even if it's negative. Even if you cover him negatively, you're just ampl- you're legitimizing him, right? That's what some people say. And so we say, well, if if they know this, why do they continue to do it? Why do they have an hour panel show after every single tweet? Why do they spend 20 hours a day just repeating what Donald Trump says constantly? Like, don't they understand they're shooting themselves in the foot? It seems like the workers understand, the media coordinators understand, the journalists understand, but the president doesn't care. The president of the company is driving it into the ground because he is so consumed with his personal hatred of Donald Trump that he just needs to keep going all day Every day, Hyundai. And, and that's sometimes what I what I struggle with. Like a lot of the decisions, I guess all media companies make. But it's like, you know, they're out to make a profit. So when people criticize, you know, the media to a certain extent, some of the criticism is accurate because it can't totally be um, like completely for the objectives that you're seeking. Like, you know, I totally want to do just like truth like the dog and reporting but then you have higher up executives oh. like zucker and other people oh. who are who are saying well we got to make profits so oh. you end up with things like i don't know if you heard this but this week they had like a game show <laughs> to like decide <laughs> what dates there, there was going to be this debate we did we did that video we laughed about that video where they had the drawing out of the different candidates on different days. They turned it into a two-hour game show. So who's going to be drawn on night one? Let's go to our ballot. And then there was a panel to discuss the dynamics of the debate that is going to happen in a couple of days based on the draw that took place on the show before. It was a fucking circus. It was a complete circus. (laughs) I think this guy's going to be all right. I think this guy I think this guy will get another job after this. Once there's going to have to be like a purification of the media. It can't keep going like this. It's going to die. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of when. So somebody who is on record as saying I want to do dogged reporting, I want to do the truth, 
but the higher ups say we need to make profits and we need to talk about impeachment constantly and I don't fucking like it. Someone like that is probably going to be okay in the next cycle of media. When the new media takes over, he's probably going to be all right. He'll probably find a job. It's like we're watching the game show network, so it turns into like <laughs> certain things that you do are trying to just attract viewers and it becomes kind of a comedy show. Wow. So it's it's like, you know, you have to- look at that. He's referring to his own network as saying they're just trying to attract viewers and it's becoming a comedy show. Oh. It's just like driving the stake into the heart of the vampire. This is fantastic. <laughs> have people who are genuinely have all the right motives but then you also have people who are like well we got to make money and we got to attract viewers so if we just talk about trump all day people will watch yeah i think we're just trying every single way to see i don't, I don't watch for the trump though i watch for their madness which is induced by trump <laughs> so it's kind of true kind of not true show that we're in the light side yeah because we want to be we're the light side <laughs> Light and dark side. Yeah. Look at this guy, the floor director. So he's like in the loud voice. This is like a fucking movie. This is like <laughs> this is like it's like they're acting. Like such a cliche movie thing to do. So in his full, like in his in his normal, you know, room speaking voice, he's like, I think we're just trying every single way to show that we're on the right side. You know, it's light versus dark. We're the light side. We're the good guys. And then he leans into the guy with the camera and he says, but just between you and me. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I really like my job here at CNN and I think Jeff Zucker is a great guy. And he provides tremendous leadership and just watching it out of one eye as the last other person in the room just walks out of the door, like looking back over their shoulder. So anyway, I was saying that Jeff Zucker made the right call with all the impeachment talk and then he, uh, what's the, uh, hey, just between you and me, just between you and me, the media created this monster. Absolutely, it's our fault. See, if we weren't so, if we weren't so addicted to Donald Trump, then it wouldn't be. So, so I was saying, Jeff Zucker, great call. Great call on doing impeachment 24 hours a day. That's exactly what I would have done, boss. That's what we were talking about, what a tremendous decision that was, how insightful that was. Yeah, oh, no, we all love talking about Trump 24 hours a day. We love it. Everybody here, great morale, tremendous morale here in the, in the on the floor right now. And, you know, I think we should talk about Trump more often and then... I can't do this anymore. I need to get out of here. I really wish I could do some truthful reporting. It's just between you and me. But Zucker is like breathing down my neck. <laughs> Zucker is making all the rules. I feel like I'm a fucking prisoner. I feel like I'm trapped in here. And, and yeah, and it's great being here, boss. Love it. Love the place. Show that we're in the light side. Yeah, because we want to be. We're the light side. <laughs> light and dark side. We're the dark side. <laughs> I think whatever tools I have for disposal, then that's what CNN is doing. Yeah. yeah. But between you and I, he looks around the room to make Maybe sure no one else is there. <laughs> yeah, we're back in 2015, right? Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> 
media creative. Oh, this is fantastic. So this is the floor manager. So the floor manager is the guy who runs around and, you know, organises the cameras and makes it makes sure everybody else on the floor is doing their job, right? And while they are taping, <laughs> he's saying this while a panel show is being recorded just metres away. He says, between you and I, while they're on the stage talking about Donald Trump, and if you can, you can just see the Chiron on his monitor there, it says something like vows, I, I think crows would be, because the first couple of letters are cut off, send her back chance, but praises those people who love their country and support him. Talk, there's Trump right up there on the screen. <laughs> so while they're taping the show, the manager's like, between you and me, we created this monster, and now we're eating a full plate of him every day. The media created the Trump monster. <laughs> It's alive! It's alive! Now we have to do this. Now I'm going to have to do this. <laughs> uh, I can't do that one because it'll be too long. This is CNN creating the Trump monster. But just between you and me, we created this. We did this. It's our fault. Just between you and me. Yeah, Jeff, Frankenstein, he's up walking around, scratching his ass, taking a piss. Success, my man. It's alive. Great job. He knew how to play the piano. He's a... Sneaky business person. Not good, not savvy, sneaky. Sneaky bully. Mike Brevna, a CNN floor manager, worked the overnight shift of the 2016 election at the DC Bureau. And what was it like the morning after this past election here in the Bureau? Oh, I came in that night. The night, the night of the day, the day after you came in that night. I like this guy already because he seems like a surly news guy. Yeah, well, that, that night we came in is like I uh, came in at like ten or eleven o'clock that night, like right around the time they called it. You know, I came in and it was uh, it's pretty fucking sad in there to be honest with you. Probably smokes a pack a day, polishes off half a bottle of Johnny Walker, you know, red, the cheap shit when he gets home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty fucking devastating, to be honest with you. To be in here, like, the day after the election, it was pretty fucking horrible. <laughs> that, now, that seems like a regular media guy to me. <laughs> Surly, laid back, overweight. <laughs> okay. Sounds like he, he right. sounds like he smokes a pack a day. That's exactly what I want my media guys to sound like. Right around the time he called it. Oh, so you came in actually election day, election day. The, the night of that, as it was going into. Because yeah, I worked overnight. Oh, I was that saying, night man, how was how was that? But um, <laughs> when I walked through the elevators and came through the doors, first thing I always do, I was on their side, I look to the left, I look to the right, I look back to the left. There was someone sitting on the floor, 
and then I seen like movement of people, somebody coming out of AIDS, and as I started walking towards this person, as I got closer, I could hear her sobbing. <laughs> and I never really wanted to look at who it was, and to this day, I don't even really know who it was, because they were there like this, and they were sobbing, so then I, then I went into oh. It was like I was African. Wow. <laughs> so he came in on election night and there were people. This is, remember, fearless journalism, ladies and gentlemen. Fearless to the fearless truth tellers at CNN. We're going to hold this orange bastard to account. We're going we're gonna to stick it to him. We are right here, ladies and gentlemen, here at CNN, we attack the truth fearlessly. There's nothing that can hold us back. There's no level of bullying and intimidation that will stop us from doing our job, unless, of course, it comes from Jeff Zucker, the president of CNN, who will tell us exactly what we should be doing and writing about and talking about every single day. But except from that, we're not going to take direction from this president. We're not going to feel intimidated by this president. Yeah, so I came in at like 10 o'clock the night of the election. And, uh, you know, like I always do, I walked in, I looked left, I looked right. And then I just heard this sobbing. I don't even really know what who was sobbing. I don't want to know who was sobbing. But I mean, it was like a it was like a goddamn funeral in here. People were crying their eyes out. <laughs> here at CNN, we're not intimidated. We never take a backward step. This is fearless journalism. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I just heard this fucking sobbing, like, going through the fucking hallways, man. It was like a goddamn funeral up in this bitch. I'm sorry? It was like you was at a funeral. Oh, it's like we was at a funeral. I mean, I was... People were, like, in shock. I don't say they were in mourning. Let's say people were in shock. Do you think the people at CNN fucking thought wonderful. that uh, Trump was going to win the election? Nobody thought Trump was going to win, my, myself included. Day, like man, just at 6 a.m. in the morning when I came in, everyone was silent. Everyone wanted to talk. I was, I just came in. I was like, oh hi, and like, like the mood was just. What are you so happy about? He just, no, everybody was silent. Nobody wanted to talk the day after the election at six o'clock. And this guy walks in. He's like, hi everyone. <laughs> I wonder if people were shooting him looks. Like, are you a Trump voter? Get the fuck out of here. Go to Jeff's office immediately. <laughs> So sourpuss the whole day. That was sourpuss the whole day. <laughs> I imagine. Yeah, I imagine that I was like a dreary this day inside of CNN. It was a dreary day. I bet a was like euphoria. Yeah, popping champagne. Yeah. Uh, this guy's a cool cat. <laughs> Man, they were like fucking sourpuss all day, bro. I was like, dude, fucking check it out. People were crying and shit. It was like a goddamn funeral up in this bitch. I bet at Fox, they were like, Papa Jab champagne corks, like, pew, pew. <laughs> All right, I like this guy. I don't hate everyone at CNN. The racism, we're coming back. Yeah. Racism, we're coming at that point, back. too, it was like, all right, well, let's put our heads together and see how to fix this somehow. Or, you know, <laughs> let's start the... Uh, anti-Trump crusade. Yeah, anti-Trump anti crusade. <laughs> this is why Kerry Porch became a Project Veritas insider. He saw Los CNN's anti-Trump crusade was about more than ratings. 
it was about taking sides. I think what's going on in America now is really fundamentally uh, the result of years uh, of uh, fake news, conspiracy uh, nonsense from fake uh, from Fox News uh, that has taken root in this country. And I'm, and I'm, I'm dead serious about this. Uh, the, the, the fake conspiracy nonsense that uh, Fox has spread for years uh, is now deeply embedded in American society and at the highest levels of the uh, uh, Republican elected officials as we see with Ron Johnson. Yes, sir. So what we're going to do here is uh, we're going to talk about how Fox News is spreading conspiracy theories and how that's very destructive for America. Yes, sir, Mr. Zucker. Whatever you say, boss. Whatever hot take you want us to write, boss, that's what we'll write. Man, I'm so sick of writing about Donald Trump every day. But you have to do it because Jeff Zucker gets on the phone every morning at 9 o'clock and he says, this is what you're going to write and we don't have a choice. And it's like, man, I want to I want to talk about, you know, truth. I want to talk about the truth sometimes. But it's, it's, it's not fair. I don't really have a choice because Jeff says we need to make money. I guess it's out of my hands. I'd like to do more. I'd like to do more. I think that was a great decision, boss. Great decision to just talk about Donald Trump all the time. But just between you and me, <laughs> just between you and me, I'd like to do actual journalism for once. And I do not think we should be uh, scared to, to say so. Zucker sounds more like an angry tyrant than a network news president. So I, I just want to say on the Instagram front, I know that there's a lot of people at CNN that are good. friendly with Instagram. Time to knock that off. Wow. See, if you want further evidence, because I was I was postulating before, if if you have such a deep seated hatred of somebody, it can cloud your judgment, and that's dangerous. If you're running a company like CNN, if you're the president of CNN, and you're motivated by a personal vendetta, you 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 won't be able to see the fact that you're driving your your company's credibility into the dirt at a thousand miles an hour. You won't be able to see that because you're just consumed with revenge and hatred and all of those all of those icky human feels that make us do things in the heat of the moment and make us forget what our fucking job is, right? So it's pretty well known that in the media, it's actually worthwhile to keep a positive relationship. If you're working in politics, you want to have a positive relationship with politicians. And politicians use that shit to their advantage. That's, that's another thing I have a problem with. Journalists will, ref- journalists will shy away from asking hard questions of politicians they have access to because then the politician won't give them that special. The politician won't give them that information. They won't give them that comment. They won't give them that quote. They won't give them that interview. So politicians know that and they leverage that against the press, right? So the press, like, they stay within the bounds because they want to keep that relationship. Now, you can look at it two ways. You can say, well, that's not very that's not very good. Like, you know, you want people to hit... Um, you want people to ask hard-hitting questions of politicians, and I'm more sympathetic with that view. 
The other view is, well, if you go too hard all the time, then you won't get any question, you won't get any quotes, you won't get any interviews, and your career is essentially over, and then you can't unearth any truth at all because you'll be on the outer. So it's a balancing act, right? Here is the president of CNN instructing his staff to burn that relationship down. Like, it's clear as day. He is, t- he is instructing his staff to burn the bridge with Lindsey Graham. I know a lot of you out there, have you, you're very friendly with Lindsey Graham. You get on well with him. It's time to knock that off. <laughs> it's just telling them to end it. You need to attack Lindsey Graham now. <clears throat> telling, t- instructing the journalists what they do with their own personal relationships. And of course, you you would imagine then at this point with that, knowing that, having that knowledge on board, you could imagine quite easily Jeff Zucker, once the journalists at CNN are no longer getting the interviews with Lindsey Graham and no longer getting the comments from Lindsey Graham, well, I think he would probably turn around and blame them for it. Even though he instructed them to do it. No, fuck Lindsey Graham. I know you're friends with him. I don't care. Burn that shit to the ground. It's time to start attacking Lindsey Graham. What do you mean you can't get a quote from Lindsey Graham? Aren't you two guys mates? Don't you get on well? <laughs> You're out of here. You're fired. Mr. Bearded Truth, thanks for joining us. Everyone, if you want the libertarian perspective, I'm sure we'll talk about this at some point, and I hope uh, the lovely baby bride is doing well, my friend. Uh, prayers for uh, the lovely Mrs. Beard. <laughs> Mrs. Beard? No, he's he's not gay, ladies, just in case you were wondering. Uh, the Mrs. Beard, I uh, hope she's doing well. Mr. Beard of Truth, a good follow. The libert- the angry libertarian perspective. Okay, and so it's, uh, it, it's time to seriously call out what's going on here. According to Porch and others, the anti-Trump crusade at CNN is personal. <laughs> Which guys, like, hate Trump? Cooper's got it. Cooper hates him. I mean, Cooper's, like... Don Lemon hates him. I mean, Don, like, like, he's like, uh, Tapper, yeah, he doesn't like him either. Dick Tapper, Dick Tapper. Cuomo doesn't like him. Hannity is, like, extremely conservative. He lets you know. However, Don Lemon comes on, he makes you think he's objective news. (sighs) This stuff is cancer. Oh, this poor guy. So now the media coordinator at CNN is on tape praising Sean Hannity for being on, more honest than Don Lemon is. <laughs> well, you know, it's like with Hannity, he's conservative. At least he, he lets you know. You know exactly who Hannity is. Don Lemon pretends to be objective. <laughs> I'm not trying to bash CNN. Really? It's whatever, man. But he makes you think he's objective news, but he's blatantly opinionated. Well, of course, everybody can say that. So either disclose where you're coming from or get someone who's a little bit more objective. (laughs) I like this guy. He's got integrity. Either disclose where you're coming from or get someone who is a little bit more objective. Like, get rid of Don Lemon, basically, from the media coordinator at CNN. 
John Lemon is, I mean, love him or hate him, he's blatantly, like, anti-Trump, he's blatantly left. So maybe Don Lemon could disclose that, but CNN makes it appear as though we have 24 hours of unbiased news. That's not true. Christian Sierra explained how CNN implements their political bias. It's like the ones who stick strict, strictly to news, and I can understand if you're tough, like I'm, maybe you're a little tough on the Democrats, it's okay, fine, whatever. Like MSNBC is tougher on Republicans, and we're tough on Republicans too, more so than the Democrats. We have, it, our Democrat interviews are like softballs compared to Republicans. <laughs> but I can understand. You guys do do a lot of Republican interviews, actually, though. We do, but, right? So which is good. We do, but every time, but if you notice, like every time we ask questions to Republicans, like, it's always a little tougher than when we do to the Democrats. <laughs> there, are, there are so many uh, preconceived notions just evaporating into thin air at this point. Nuh-uh, they're not biased. Nuh-uh, nuh-uh. <laughs> yeah, so basically when we get the Republicans in here, we bend them over a barrel and rape them with a pitchfork. But when we get the Democrats in here, we sit them down, we have a cup of tea and a cupcake and everything's good. How's your mother? How's the weather? How's the beach? Beautiful this time of year, so I heard. Mr. Republican, why do you want everybody to get cancer and die? <laughs> But remember the words of the president, the, the, the president, ladies and gentlemen, not Donald Trump, Jeff Zucker, president of CNN. Everything has to do with impeachment. So that's that's the direction we're moving in. I want every single story to uh, to be regarding impeachment. Everything has to do with impeachment all the time. So keep that in your mind. Focus on impeachment. Why not just quit? Why take the risk of exposing the largest, arguably, one of the most influential news outlets. It's in airports. Um, and, and especially with this news, I know that this is something that you've struggled with. You're about to have a family. And why not just quit? That family is going to be eating out of dumpsters by the end of the week. Why do this? I mean, it's, it's a fair question. I mean, and I, as we said earlier, I was about to quit. And I wrestled with the decision long and hard. I mean. You and I spoke for weeks before we kind of decided to do this. And it still, it still scares me. Again, you said it in the, in the question. I mean, this is exposing pot, you know, most likely the biggest media conglomerate in the world. I, I lose sleep over it. But this is, I decided, I decided to wear the camera because I didn't see any other option because Jim, I, Master of Blackjack says, if someone's buying the newsroom's beers, be suspicious. It's amazing how much you can extract out of somebody if you just purchase them one drink. <laughs> Couple of drinks at a bar, loosen the tongues a little bit. Next thing you know, Jeff Zucker's a piece of shit. Everybody hates working here. Nobody likes doing Trump all day. Every, all the staff are sick. Remember that guy? Nobody likes doing Trump 24 hours a day. Everyone who works here is sick of it. <laughs> But we have to do it because the president of CNN calls us up at nine o'clock every single morning and tells us what direction we have to go in. And you can't say no to the boss. You have to do what he says because he wants to make money. <laughs> Would you like an, perhaps you'd like a shot of vodka or tequila? Yes, please. Thank you. Great. <laughs> it's on me.
I'll, I'll get it. Don't worry. You, you stay there. Stay comfortable. I want you to hold that thought. Um, when we get back, let's continue talking about how much you dislike the president of CNN because he tells you what to do on a daily basis. Can we do that? Just between you and me. I noticed that I was in a very unique position in space and time to just do something to protect the republic, to basically put everything in the sunshine that I could, let the cards fall where they may, and hopefully again, just dovetail into letting us ha at least have one more fair and free election. A recent Gallup poll said only about 14% of the American people have a great deal of confidence in the U.S. media. <laughs> That's not even recent. That's one of my favorite furfies that likes to get spread by the corporate press when they say Donald Trump is uh, convincing people to pay less attention to the mainstream media. You've heard that so often, haven't you? Especially from people like CNN. It is a complete and utter lie. Confidence in the corporate mainstream media was at all-time lows well before Donald Trump even announced his candidature for the President of the United States. Long before Donald Trump ever even announced that he was running in 2016, confidence in the mainstream press was at all-time lows. So it's a complete and utter lie. It's a complete fabrication to say that Donald Trump has caused people to no longer have trust in the corporate media. No, no, no. Donald Trump is just repeating the mistrust that already existed before he ran. <laughs> Donald Trump is arguably doing something that 90, what, 86% of the population already agree with. That's how detached these people are. 14% of the population have confidence in the, in the mainstream press. 86% of the population do not. Donald Trump comes out and says, you can't trust, you can't trust these guys in the mainstream media, the fake news. And the people in the mainstream media turn around and say, oh, Donald Trump is influencing everybody to hate us. <laughs> that's how, that's how detached from reality these people are. And again, you heard it, you heard it from the guys themselves in this very video. Jeff Zucker is consumed with personal hatred of Donald Trump. And he's effectively driving the company into the ground because he's so consumed, is he, with this personal vendetta against Donald Trump that he is ignoring all the other factors. Completely oblivious. As our insider exposed, that lack of confidence, at least in CNN, is justified. I just hope that uh, others in similar positions will take the mantle as we all have, you know? I mean, the Facebook uh, insider inspired me. My goal with this, aside from getting CNN to return to what its, great, its old greatness, is to inspire literally the dozens of people I've had this same conversation with, not only at CNN, but at different outlets. People are always asking me, what can I do? It's probably the most frequent question that I get asked. It's maybe one of the most important questions. Well, there's a new answer to that question. You can be an insider. You can wear a camera. You can blow the whistle, like Kerry Borch did. He's one of the bravest people I've ever met. You can do that too, but you have to reach out to us at VeritasTips at ProtonMail.com. Be brave. This is James O'Keefe with Project Veritas. Well done. Well, that was utterly, utterly uh, very satisfying. The link for that will be in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen. We've gone overtime tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. There's going to be more to unpack in the days to come. 
I'm very much looking forward to the reactions that are going to follow this. Um, I don't know about returning CNN to its former greatness. I'm not sure about that. I think it's one of those, I think a, a purge of all corporate press, and that's that's not a partisan thing, that's all of them. CNN, Fox News, the whole lot, the whole stinking lot, the whole lot needs to be purged because right now the culture is sick. The media culture is sick and the culture is sick of the media culture. And I tend to think, I tend to be one of those people that tends to think it's probably got to have to go away before it can be anything like it used to be. With that being said, if you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you would like to make CNN what it once was, make CNN great again, then you can do so by following me on Twitter at boogie bumper. I'll be back tomorrow night, guys, at 6 p.m. Eastern. Until then, stay calm, stay rational. God bless, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.